The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. Hey, we're so glad that you're here today. I am glad to see you guys. Uh, excited to be here with you this morning. We are in a series called Fanatic. We are walking through this book uh, by James. This is, this is Jesus' little brother, and uh, it's his, uh, his letter to this early church, encouraging them to have authentic faith and challenging them from having this, this dead faith that does nothing to this authentic faith that pours itself out into those around them. And so that's where we've been last week. We talked about loving anyone, uh, being able to uh, be those who receive people who are different than us, who love those in our community who we struggle with, maybe the unlovable, maybe the person that you don't necessarily connect with. And that this church is, the church is an amazing place. It's really a revolutionary place where people from different social and economical and and religious backgrounds can get together under one roof, underneath this one need, and this need of grace, this need of forgiveness, and the realization that there's something greater that we are here for. And so this week, we're continuing on in that conversation and talking about a faith that isn't working. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Um, I don't know if you're here today and maybe you're wondering why you're here. I think people come to churches, church for a lot of different reasons. Maybe your wife drug you here today. Maybe a friend of yours texted you last night and said, hey, come sit with me at church this morning. And so you came uh, because they said they buy you lunch after church. Um, you know, maybe your parents brought you here. Maybe you're here because you have a lot of questions and you just want to explore this faith thing and see if maybe Jesus is the real deal and find out more about it. I don't know why you're here, but I think a lot of people at some point end up with this feeling that their faith isn't really working for them. And, and at some point, a lot of people fall away from the church. They, they fall away from uh, an understanding of God and learning more about Him because their faith isn't really doing anything in their lives. And so we talk a lot about Jesus in this church. And, I, and before we get into the topic of the morning, I think we need to lay a foundation of Jesus because He is the center uh, piece of everything we talk about. He is the foundation of every one of our conversations. It always comes back to Jesus. We did a, a series earlier this year called The Code, and the number one code was this, it's all about Jesus. So if you're sick of hearing about Jesus, you're not going to like ACF Church, because we just talk about him all the time, because we believe that he is the difference between a faith that is authentic and a faith that is worthless. He is the key, the linchpin to us having a true faith that changes our lives, that changes the lives of people around us, instead of a worthless faith. And so what we know about Jesus is he came to earth, and he brought something new to this religious group of people, this group of people that would have understood rules and would have understood trying to do the right thing and earn a right standing before God. Some of you get this. You grew up in a religious household, or maybe you had some kind of friend that was that that crazy Christian that was always trying to do the right thing and, you know, always had the right answer. Um, Kind of the Ned Flanders friend, you know, it's like, okay, the yard's always cut. They they always say the right thing. They never cuss. Uh, They they are always the the nice guy in the situation. And, And so maybe you kind of have seen this moral 
pluralistic approach to, uh, to faith. And so Jesus shows up to this crowd of Jewish people who, who would have understood the law and understood all of what was required of them and the holiness of God and, and trying to please God with all of the things that they did. And he comes in and he says, hey, I've got this new thing. This law of liberty, as James calls it. And he shows them, and he does these crazy things like healing on the Sabbath. That would have been a breach of the law. Sitting and eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. That's Jesus. He shows up. And even his, his first miracle, you know, like uh, instead of, I can just imagine, somebody was like, Jesus is getting ready to do his first miracle. They're like, you're going to heal somebody? You know, what are you going to do? Jesus is like, Wine. Alcohol. That's what I'm going to do. And a lot of it. Way too much of it for this crowd. We're, gonna get, we're just going to make a lot of wine. I, I just imagine this is what Jesus does. And he kind of bucks the religious system. And he challenges people with this new way of thinking. Not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And gives them this new thing. And then right before Jesus is betrayed, we read him praying to his father, In John chapter 17, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus, right before he is betrayed, before he goes to the cross, says to God the Father, he says, I have done what you called me to do. I have been faithful to you. I have have accomplished the work. And then we know the story continues. Jesus goes to the cross, and the very last words out of his mouth are what? It is finished. It is finished The work is finished. I am done. I have completed the work that was needing to be done. The work is finished. Not, it will be finished if you read your Bibles, go to church on Sunday, give of your money, obey the law, stop cussing, start praying, teach Sunday school, have patience with your kids, stop looking at porn, bring your friends to church, respect your parents, vote Republican, visit the elderly, voice your religious opinions, give water to the thirsty, give food to the hungry, give away free gas to your community, get baptized, go to a life group, rake some leaves, and redeem Halloween with a trunk or treat event. So, Jesus says the work's done. I did the work for you. I took care of it. I, I, it's just, it's mind-boggling for these people, as it is for many of us today, that Jesus accomplished the work, that none of this stuff will ever make you any more acceptable or pleasing to God, that it is finished. I'm still getting my head wrapped around that. So if Jesus accomplished everything on the cross, then the question is, what are we supposed to do, right? Right? I think a lot of people wrestle with the question, what is my role in this faith? What do, I, what do I do? Is it that I go to heaven based on what I believe? Or do I go to heaven based on what I do? And if, if this is you, people have been wrestling with this for generations and generations because you read this scripture and it kind of sounds like there's nothing left to do. And then you read this scripture over here and it kind of sounds like there's a lot that I need to be doing. And so where is it? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. And I'm going to give away kind of the major point of the morning right off the top. It's that dead religion doesn't work. Dead religion doesn't work. And if you're here today and you're like, yeah, my religion doesn't really work for me. James is going to challenge us a little bit. And he's going to say, your religion doesn't work because your religion doesn't work. How's that for confusing? So your, your faith doesn't work because your faith isn't working. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. So could we pray as we go to God's word here? Jesus, thank you so much for these people in this room. God, thank thank you that we have these few moments together to open your word and to be challenged by you. 
God, we thank you for all of the stories in this room, God. Many of us have gone through a lot of things in our lives that have brought us to this point today. God, can we be fully present in this moment? I'm fully able to hear your voice speak to us. God, I pray for those who are in this room who are doubting and, God, who are far from you. Maybe those who have been wounded by the church and hurt by the church. God, that they could be fully here to hear you. God, I pray for those who are excited today, who are just pumped up about all that you're doing in their lives. God, I pray that you would challenge them as well, God, and that we could come together as a collective, all underneath the umbrella of those who need your grace and are grateful for Jesus who brings it to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So James chapter 2 is where we're at. You guys can open up your Bibles or read it on the screen behind me or download the YouVersion Bible app or another Bible app. Um, by the way, if you don't have the YouVersion, it's like, it's, it's just, they're not paying me anything to talk about it, by the way. You're like, why does he talk about it so much? Um, it's just awesome because it sends you verses of the day. It gets you in the Word. And, and the reality is uh, most Christians are not reading the Word. Most Christians are not opening their Bibles consistently. And so having a little pop-up notification on your phone that's like, hey, verse of the day is kind of a nice reminder in my life. And so I'd encourage you to do that. But James chapter 2, verse 14 is where we're picking it up here this morning. So let's read this together. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then James goes into a case study of what this is about. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James launches right into it. And he paints a picture for us of what this would look like. And I can imagine, as we talked last week, that in this church there were the very rich and the very poor. Uh, there was very few middle class in this society, um, very different from our society today. And so within the church there was always struggle and dissension between the, the rich and the poor, and even in the community. Uh, there was a separation there between these two groups. And so he's, he's saying, hey, let me paint a picture for you. What if you saw this person who's poorly clothed and uh, they don't have enough food. Clearly they're underfed. And you just say to them, hey, go in peace. Be warm and filled. That's, that's a very like re- religious sounding thing, isn't it? Like to a poor person, hey, go in peace. God bless you. Uh, may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding you know, give you everything that you need. In fact, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. I'm sure God's going to work this out in you for the good of you who love him. Maybe you don't. I don't know, but I'm sure it's all going to work out. So I'm sure it's going to be great. This is what he's, he's painting this picture of this religious person who sees needs. And then he says, hey, go in peace. I hope that you're good. I hope you get taken care of. I don't know if you, have you experienced this in your life? So uh, I have experienced this multiple times. A few weeks ago, we were at dinner with some friends at a local restaurant. And we went in about 6 p.m. And so it was really busy. We're waiting for a seat in the entryway. And it was one of those rainy days um, in the past couple weeks. So rain is pouring down outside. And I look over towards the door and people are kind of shuffling outside into the rain. I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. And so I go walking over there and walk outside. And there's about eight or ten of us. And there's this woman laying on the ground right in front of the entryway to this restaurant. And she's face down in the water, passed out cold. 
I mean, just out. And so this guy's over kind of trying to take care of her. Another guy's on the phone calling an ambulance. And she is out. And, and I'm like, what happened? And somebody's like, I saw the whole thing. She was walking out. I don't know if she had too much to drink or whatnot. But she tripped over the step. And there was like a Subaru parked right here. And her head hit the bumper of the Subaru. There was still a mark on the bumper from where her face hit the bumper. And she is out, cold. And so here she is laying in the water. Rain coming down. There's about eight or ten of us standing around looking at this woman. You know, ambulance is probably coming. Guys on the phone. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at this lady and I thought to myself, she could probably use a coat. I mean, look at her. I mean, her face is in the water. Somebody could, could at least roll her over, but she's, she's, I don't know, she could probably use a coat. And I sat there and then I kind of felt good about myself for noticing that there was a need in front of me. And that's as far as it went. And then about 30 seconds later, this lady next to me, she launches into action, almost like the idea hit her instead of me. And she ran over to her car. I watched her open the back of the car, pull out a coat, come over and get down on her knees with the lady in the water. And I thought to myself, I am a horrible human being. Like, I am horrible. How, how come I didn't respond to that moment? Why is it that I couldn't have simply, I have a truck over here. I've got blankets in the back. I've got coats in the back. I'm like ready for the apocalypse at all times. Alaskans are like this, right? Road flares and candles and coats in the back of the car. We're ready to be stuck on the side of the road. So I am prepared. And, and it's just, it was 30 seconds. It was 30 seconds that I looked at this lady and I thought, man, somebody should get her a coat. I can't imagine that maybe it should be me. And so this happens, and now I'm like feeling horrible, but she got the coat, and so I'm standing there watching her with the coat, the other guy holding her head, waiting on the ambulance, and then out from the door comes this waitress, and she comes into the circle, and she sees the lady on the ground, she looks at us, and she goes, table for five? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if this is a typical Friday night thing for this lady. Like, yeah, people pass out drunk on the front porch all the time, so she'll be fine. But she was totally unmoved, unaffected by this woman who is face down in the rain, passed out cold right in front of her. So now I'm judging her, right? Now I feel better about myself, right? Because I didn't get the coat, but at least I'm not as bad as this lady. So I feel like as I was preparing this, this came to my mind because I feel like this is a progression in our lives, isn't it? Where... It starts off by noticing needs and delaying, right? We notice the need and then we're kind of like, "Ah, I don't, nah, I I just got the coat. You know, like, oh, and I don't know, this lady, and what if the ambulance comes and they take the coat? I need my coat, right? And um, so in this processing that happens in your mind, pretty soon the opportunity has come and gone, right? And maybe somebody else meets the need. And so then the need's met. And so you, then you're like, well, I didn't meet the need, but somebody did, so I guess it's okay. So you kind of feel better about yourself because, well, I didn't do it, but at least, at least the need's met, so it's fine. And then there comes this point in our lives where not only that, not only do we do delay and not meet the need and not step into the situation that we could step into, but we literally become numb to the needs. We become like the waitress, right? We walk out, we see somebody passed out on the floor, and we're like, yeah, that's, it's Friday. And we just move on, and we live like nothing ever happened. I think this is a journey that we are on, and that Paul is, or James is saying, hey, this early church is on this same journey. You are starting to ignore needs. You're starting to miss opportunities. Here's the mindset that James 
is discussing. It's the, it's not my problem mindset. It's not my problem. That's the paramedic's problem and the guy that's on the ground's problem because he jumped into it. So hands off, baby. This is not my issue. And James is saying, oh yeah, no, it's, it's your issue. It's your issue because you have the coat. He's saying if somebody needs food, it's your issue because you have the food. Where? It's in your hand. You've got the food. You've got the coat. Instead of saying, be well, brother, be blessed, you could go and meet the need. You could answer your own prayer. James is saying, look at this. And then he compares this to dead faith. He calls it, he says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is not on life support, not just kind of weak, but without a heartbeat, flatlined, dead faith. And so I don't know if you've ever been to an open casket funeral, but they can be a little hard to go to sometimes. Amanda and I have talked about it. I just want to be cremated. Like, you know, burn me up, put me in a little vial, toss me out the window, you know, on the glen. I don't know. Do something. It doesn't matter. I'm gone. Just get rid of me. But some people do the open casket thing. And, uh, and it's hard. I've been to family members' funerals where there's an open casket. And it's, it's this strange experience because you come up to this person and there they are. And you've seen them alive, and yet you know that they're not there. But there they are, and they almost look alive, don't they? I mean, the mortician, that's their job, is make them look as alive as possible, give people an opportunity to say goodbye to this person. But, like, I I remember going to a couple of them, and it's like there's makeup on, right? They're wearing a suit oftentimes. They look like they're going to church, which is ironic for what we're talking about here. But they look like they're ready for church on the outside. They're dressed up. And they look almost like you could talk to them, like they're sleeping. And yet, you know, and there's this moment that becomes very clear to you that although you're saying goodbye to this person, they're just not there. There's nothing there. They are not alive. And James is comparing our faith to that kind of faith, as if it's just a dead person in a casket. That's the kind of faith it is when your faith does not have works. And then he says in verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, And I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James gives us two kinds of people, and there are probably these two kinds of people in the room today. There are the faith people and the works people. The faith people are kind of like this. Hey, I believe God will provide for that person. I believe God will give her a coat. And then he did, right? I'm so faithful. I believe that God would give her a coat. And sure enough, lady next to me, she went and got her a coat. Now, don't tell me to do too much because that's legalism. And we don't want to be legalistic. And so we don't need legalism. Don't tell me to work. Don't tell me that I need to do anything because I believe so strongly that God will do it, that he's, everything is under his control, that I don't really need to do anything. If God wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. Praise God for my strong faith. So there's the faith people, and then there's the works people. And the works people are over here judging the faith people, saying, get off your butts, go do something, faith people. Look at us over here. We're volunteering. We are serving. We're giving money. Look at us. We contribute. We're over here doing all the work, and you're over here thinking that you're being faithful. And James is saying, listen, there's faith people. There's works people. I will show you my faith by my works. And I would even contend that there's probably a third category, and these are the 50-50 people in the room. It's probably most of us. 
You're like, well, I'm not kind of either of those people. The 50 feet, 50 people are kind of like this. Well, I don't feel like I need, I can please God with, with everything that I do because I know that I'm kind of messed up and I make mistakes. So I, I can't really please him with what I do. But, you know, I also know that I want to be faithful and trust God and I want to, I want to do some work in my life. And so I'm kind of 50% faith and 50% works. I'm well balanced, Brian. I'm well balanced. I do a little good. You know, and then I keep a scoreboard in my back of my mind. You know, depending on the on the the the, the size of the good deed that I do, I, I can I can earn myself like a week off, you know, or a month off. Anybody else do this? Am I the only sinner in the room that does this? So I'm like I'm like, oh, I did something kind of good that gives me at least a day to be lazy. And uh, oh, this was a really big deal. I made a really good decision, helped somebody out. You know, was really generous in a moment. I am good for like at least a year. I am totally good and taken care of. And so this is the 50-50 people. James is saying, no, this is a 100-100 deal. That, that God is calling you to a, a life of full faith, fully trusting in God. And that life results in serving and loving and giving coats to ladies who are face down in the water. I mean, that's, it's, not, it's not a game of scoreboard. It's a, it's a lifestyle of showing your faith to the world. And so then he doesn't end there. He talks about this belief type of faith, and he says, hey, you believe that God is one. You do well. He's kinda, James is kind of sarcastic. I like that about James. He's like, hey, you believe God is one. This is a basic piece of theology, you know, quoting a little Deuteronomy. You know, the Lord your God is one. This idea that he's not many other gods. He's not one God split into a lot of different pieces. He is one God. So James is like, gold star, good for you. You believe a little theology. And then he goes, even the demons believe that. Ouch, Right? He's like, good for you. You've educated yourself. You've studied the Bible. You've gotten a degree in biblical studies. You've done all of this stuff. Good for you. You're a pastor and you can expose on the Bible. Good for you. He said, even the, even the demons can do that. Even the, did you know the demons know the Bible? Sometimes better than we do. He said, even the demons. And it's so interesting that as we look at the ministry of Jesus, some of the first ones to recognize Jesus was, who he said he was, were demons. And we even see Jesus rebuking the demons and quieting the demons and saying, no, now is not the time. But the demons, they knew who he was and acknowledged who he was before many of the people did. He says, there's a demonic faith out there. There's a, a, a weak faith or a, a faith that is not real that, that trusts in knowledge, trusts in understanding, trusts that, hey, I can say, if I asked you today, and I want you to just consider for a second, I feel like, I feel like this is the camp a lot of American churches fall into. And I feel like we could have a tendency as a community to fall into this. So just take an inventory right now and ask yourself these, these questions. Is there a God? Most people would say yes. Some of you would not, but some, most of you would say, yeah, I believe there is a God. Would you say that Jesus is God? Yep, yep. So we, we say, okay, so Jesus is God. How about should you do good things? Should we serve people? Should we care for people? Most, most of you would say absolutely. Yeah, we should do good, good things. And then I would ask you, are you surrendered to Jesus? And I hope the answer is yes. But here's the thing, the difference between the demons 
in their demonic type of faith and a true authentic faith is that the demons had to submit to Jesus, right? Like Jesus can control the demons. He can tell them what to do. They had to submit to Jesus, but they didn't surrender themselves to Jesus. And that's the difference. Some of you, you're submitting to Jesus because you know, like, okay, there is a God, and he's, he's powerful, and he's strong, and I know all of this theology, and I can answer all of the questions. You've been to church for a long time, or maybe you've done a lot of good things in your life, and you've got a whole, a whole repertoire of great things that you, you can explain. This is all that I've done, the great stuff. And yet you're not truly surrendered to Jesus. That's the difference between a, a true faith and a dead faith is that surrender. So what propels a living faith then? What will propel us into a true living faith? And I think it's one simple question. Do you love Jesus? I want you to consider, do you honestly love Jesus? Because I think this is the, this is the difference between a true faith, an authentic faith, and a faith that is dead. Let's, I want to read you guys. This is uh, from the message translation. If you're one of those people that you struggle sometimes reading the Bible and understanding it, I'd encourage you grab a, a copy of the message. Um, sometimes it puts it into language that, um, that really is easy to understand. It says this in verse 19. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Do you suppose that you can cut your faith apart from your works and not end up with something that's dead on your hands? I totally had this image of like Weekend at Bernie's. Come on. Some of you have seen that. 1989. That's an old school reference. That's, uh, it's just it's what popped in my head. Like dragging this dead person around. That's kind of like what a lot of religious people look like. That's what James is saying. It's like, it's like you're dragging this dead thing around with you and it's not doing anybody any good. It's only weighing you down and making you feel like you're pleasing to God in some way because look at you. You're dragging this dead faith around with you. It does nothing for you and nothing for anyone else. And he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James kind of gets in your face and he calls us foolish. He's like, you foolish people, if you think that that kind of dead faith, dragging around a corpse is real faith, I will show you here that that is useless. And he's going to go in to talk about some of these people, that, these stories that these people would have understood. He's going to talk about Abraham and Rahab. Both stories that people would have understand. Abraham being the father, uh, really, of the faith. And he says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So many of you, if you've been in church a while, know this story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they had this they were, they were, this relationship that was good, but they had one problem. They couldn't have children. She was barren, and they couldn't have children, so they were praying for a child, praying for a child, praying for a child. Finally, God provides them with this child. She gets pregnant, and they have this baby named Isaac. So Isaac is born, and he is a symbol of God's provision, a symbol of answered prayer. You can imagine, and, and many, many of you have maybe gone through this, where you've had infertility issues, and then you have a child, and this child is an answer to prayer. Such a beautiful thing. And then later on we see God goes to Abraham and God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to give him up to me. I gave him to you, so I want you to give him back to me. And, and, you know, we don't read about a lot of this, but I'd imagine there was a lot of 
frustration from Abraham. I'd imagine a lot of crying and screaming, and I, I can just, he's a human being. I can imagine just the, the inner turmoil of hearing this from God. And so we see Abraham responding to God's call. He goes to Isaac. Isaac, and he climb up the mountain. Isaac literally has the wood for the fire on his back, carrying the wood for the sacrifice that he was going to be on his back. He goes up, is put on the altar, and seconds before Abraham kills Isaac, God stops him. And God provides this ram in the thicket, we read. And this ram is a sacrifice instead of Isaac. And it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus, you know. Isaac carrying the wood on his back. Jesus carrying the cross on his back, going to the altar for us. And, and he provides this ram as a sacrifice. Beautiful story, but what James is saying is like, Abraham wasn't justified by like, oh, yeah, God, I trust you, but I'm not going to do anything. He says in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now we're going to get to this because some of you who know the Bible know that that's a challenging passage right there. And I feel like I'm walking a bit of a knife edge even having this conversation because I don't want to fall off on either side. Because the tendency is for somebody to walk out of here today and say that, oh, Brian said, like, I don't need to do anything because grace covers all my sin and I don't need to respond to anything. And, you know, others might walk out of here and be like, Brian's getting legalistic again. Brian must need more volunteers in children's church, you know, like they must not be paying the bills. I don't know why, you know, he's up here with some kind of agenda. There's a tendency to walk away with that, but just... Listen to these stories. In, in verse 25, he says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So then he goes from talking about kind of the pillar of the faith, you know, Abraham, to a prostitute, which I just love. And this is, this is one of the beautiful things about Scripture is, is God loves to take the worst of the worst of society. Prostitutes were not respected people in their day as many times they're not today. And he uses them as pillars of faith, which just, I'm always like, man, there's hope for us, right? There is hope for you and I. And he, he says, was she not, she, she was, Rahab that was justified by works when she received the messengers. And she, he's talking about the story in Joshua too, where these spies were sent out and she harbors these spies, protects them in the land before they were to conquer Jericho. And so she is obedient to God in this moment, puts her family at risk, puts herself at risk, so that she might honor God. And God blesses her. We know that she is, Jesus is in her lineage. And it's just this beautiful story, but it's like, hey, she was justified not by just saying she believed in God, but by acting out her faith. You see, we're not saved by our good deeds. We're saved to our good deeds. I think this is what James is trying to say. Saying, listen, these people were not saved by what they did, but their faith was justified and shown by their works. It's shown by what they did. It was clear, hey, you have faith because look at what you do so that, so you have faith so that you might go and do good deeds. And so let's read as, as we read earlier, there was maybe a challenge there in that scripture about being justified by your work. So let's go to Ephesians 2 and let's hear from Paul 
uh, about faith and about works. Ephesians 2.8. Many of you have this verse memorized, and you could read it um, without even looking. You could say it out loud. But it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So what does the saving? Grace. Saved through this is important. You gotta understand. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. Then he says, And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? We, many of us have this verse somewhere cross stitched on a pillow somewhere. I don't know. Like, we, we know this verse, it's a common verse. But what is he saying? Here. He's saying, listen, you're not saved by what you do because if you were, you would think that you are saved by, what you, by yourself. You, would, you wouldn't put your trust in Jesus because you would feel like you're self-sufficient. You would boast in your own abilities to do things, to not do things, to fix your sin, to care for other people. So he's saying, listen, you aren't saved by any of that. You're saved by grace alone through faith. And then typically we read that part. That's the part that I memorized in Awanas when I was a kid. And then we close the book and we're like, that's a nice scripture. We like that a lot. Saved by grace through faith. I love it. But then he continues on in verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is, I just feel like what he's saying to me is like, Brian, God God knew you were going to be right there on the stoop of that restaurant from the beginning of time. And, and he knew this woman was going to fall down and she was going to hit her head and she was going to be in, on the ground and he prepared a moment for you. And, and he has created you for this one moment. And you chose to delay. You chose to rationalize your decision. You chose to defend why you wouldn't move instead of simply moving and you missed your opportunity. I feel like this happens all the time. And I feel like I have developed a numbness to these things in my life. I'm just in a rush. I'm running around. Some, some of you get this. As we get into the holiday season, you're going to get so busy that the tendency is going to be to miss these God-ordained moments that are placed in your life for a specific reason. And maybe what you'll do is you'll do something good over here. It's a time of generosity. You're going to give some gifts. But these day-to-day things... You're going to miss them because we're so busy and caught up in our own lives. He's saying, you're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So James and Paul, again, what do we see? Saying the same thing. They're saying the same thing. They're speaking to two different people groups at two different places. And just as we are today, some of you need to hear this today. You just need to stop and, and rest. Some of you need to know, just rest. You've been saved by grace through faith. Just know that. Let that fill your soul up today. Relax and respond to that. But some of you need to hear this whole idea of being God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that faith apart from these works isn't live faith, it's dead faith. So let's go back to James, finish this up. Verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. He brings it back to the big idea. Just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, just as a, a corpse in a casket without a spirit is dead, so too is faith in you without works also dead. Not a heartbeat. So ask yourself today, does my faith have a heartbeat? 
Is my faith alive? Is it breathing? So a few things. Um, Why don't we choose true faith? Why don't we walk into this lifestyle? I think many people do it for a lot of different reasons. The first is this. I think some of us just don't want to. And I think this is, this is really important that we would at least be honest about this. Um, sometimes we don't want real faith. It's much easier to carry around the corpse for many people. Now, from the outside, you would say that would look ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? But inside of us, we say it's just easier to do that. It makes me feel better. That's what religious behavior does for us. It makes us feel better. It's a salve on the wound. It makes us feel like, oh, it's not so bad. But the reality is many of us don't want it. I think uh, what we have is something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is, is basically this idea that we tend to look for proof to continue believing what we already believe. Do you guys do this? Where if, if, you, if you are, you're going through life, you have a certain way of looking at the world, a way of looking at yourself, and we just tend to look for things to confirm that we believe the right thing because it's so much work to change our perspectives. And it might even cause some, some turmoil if we look back and go, I, I've been wrong for 35 years? You mean the way that I've approached my faith for my entire life has been dead? That sounds like a lot of work. I'm going to look for a way to not believe this. I'm going to look for a way to not change anything because change takes work. Change hurts a lot of times. So we have confirmation bias. You're looking for whatever in this sermon will confirm that you're doing the right thing so that you can leave here feeling encouraged that you're doing the right thing. And maybe it's that. Maybe it's, maybe it's just this feeling that I don't want it because God's going to mess up my life. And, and if I truly have that kind of faith and I truly live that kind of life that you're calling me to, it's going to mess things up. I'm going to end up, you know, like married to someone I'm not attracted to, living somewhere I don't want to live. I'm going to end up not having the stuff that I have right now. Like, if I truly walk into this authentic faith, it's going to mean sacrifices. It's going to mean that I'm going to give all of this stuff, and I'm afraid God is going to make my life miserable. And the question I, was ha- I would have is, do you think God needs your permission to make your life miserable? I don't think so, right? I mean, if God really wants to make your life miserable, he can do that tomorrow. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot. I can, the, the power of God is so great. And, and sometimes, here's the thing, I don't think God wants to make your life miserable. I do think, though, that God puts things in our path to draw us to himself, to cause us to realize that we are not self-sufficient, that we can't hold ourselves up forever. These bodies waste away, our, our minds waste away. Sometimes we come to the end of our abilities to control ourselves or to do the right thing, and we go, oh, okay, I need help. Maybe it's simply that you just are afraid that God's going to mess things up. And I just, I would encourage you that God wants to give you something so much better. He doesn't want to take something away. He wants to give you something. I think the second reason that we resist it is maybe we just don't need it. I think we don't need it. As I just talked, most people have sort of a story of faith. And it, it goes something like this. Yeah, I had some understanding of Jesus. I uh, knew something about God's word. Um, maybe I knew a Christian that I really respected. And I thought, yeah, he, he kind of helps people. Um, I could learn some things from him. Maybe you walked into church Christmas, Easter a couple times. And then something went down in your life. Something went wrong. Your marriage fell apart. You got sick. Your parents had a divorce. Something went wrong. And in that moment, you were drawn into the faith. 
I think one of the greatest barriers for a lot of people in authentic faith is simply ease of life. Again, we have to look at ourselves. Just be honest with yourself. Just, uh, if things were worse, would you be more authentic in your faith? Do you think if things were worse off in your life, you would tend to press in towards God in a, in a greater way? Press in towards the family of God. I still remember back, and this isn't even in my notes, but I just remember, you guys remember 9-11? Anybody go to church after 9-11? I just remember that, and it just came to my mind that, I mean, we couldn't have enough services to, to fill that place because everybody was so scared. It was, this was such a new thing. Everybody was terrified. Where'd they run? To church. I mean, it's just, it's our natural tendency when we're scared, when we're concerned, when we can't do something on our own, we run. We run to, to faith. And I think that's, that's what God uses. He uses difficulty as a catalyst for us to, to have authentic faith. Maybe you're just happy with your dead faith. You feel like, hey, this isn't so bad. So scripture talks about three different kinds of faith. It talks about dead faith. It talks about true faith. But then there's a third category. And I, and I think most of us kind of hope for door number, number three. And it's weak faith. We, we look at our lives and we go, okay, so I don't actually act in the way that James is talking about here, but maybe it's just because I'm weak. I'm a baby Christian. And there is a space for this in, in Scripture. We see Paul encouraging this early church that, hey, you guys are only drinking milk. You need to eat meat, which was a metaphor for like, hey, you guys are dabbling in the simple things of your faith. It's time to expand your faith and go and act out what you believe. So I think a lot of us are hoping for door number three. We're hoping, okay... It's not really dead, it's just immature, right? But I think at some point in our lives, we have to take a good, hard look at our faith and be honest and say, hey, if I'm constantly resisting opportunities to give a coat to a woman on the ground, if I'm constantly saying somebody else is going to take care of that, I don't need to be the one, and then we feel better when somebody else does, if this is their, our lifestyle, we have to look and go, not that our faith was alive and it, and it died, but maybe it was never alive at all. Maybe it was never truly alive. And we have to look and go, do I truly believe? And today may be a day for you to reconsider what true, authentic faith looks like. Because babies are cute for a while, right? But you don't act like a baby forever. It's not cute when they're older. If they're acting still like an infant. And so this is, the, what kind of faith do you have? Number three is this, we don't feel it. We resist true faith. I think a lot of people, because we're just not feeling it. I don't have this need in my heart. I don't have the feeling that I need this. I think there are people in this room that probably have barriers to faith. And some of you, it's a barrier of the mind. It's simply a, a, a logical issue. You've, you've uh, studied a lot of science and a, a lot of uh, history. And you say, I don't know how the Bible works with the science. Um, a great book, A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you've never read that classic book of the process of uh, atheism to Christianity. And so there's a lot of space for good conversation of these barriers of, of logic and, and dealing with history and realizing that these two things can work beautifully together. But for a lot of people, it's a barrier of the heart. It's simply that you have not experienced God. And if you have, you've chalked it up to anything but God. It's maybe a barrier of the heart. Here's the problem with this, this kind of look, way of looking at faith is that the reality is true faith oftentimes doesn't feel that great. <laughs> you know, like giving my coat to the lady on the ground would have felt a little sacrificial. Like, it's kind of a nice coat. 
Um, you know, when you're wishing that you would have brought the junky coat or, you know, maybe if I had something else in my car, where's like the old blanket that the dog used to sleep on in the trunk somewhere? Like, can I find anything that's, you know, that, that, that would cost me less to give to this person? So we don't feel it oftentimes. And it results in us resisting true faith because it's going to hurt. And as we look in the Old Testament, we see how the sacrifices were, ma- were made. As people would bring sacrifices to the temple, it was never what was left over. It was always the very first and the very best. This is what a holy God expects from his people, not your leftovers, but your very best. I'm just here to tell you that's not always going to feel good. I think it can feel good. I think at some point it does feel good, but early on it doesn't feel that good. It just feels like discipline and discipline hurts many times. So what's keeping you from an authentic faith? What is it that's keeping you from stepping forward here today? I want you to know that I don't have an agenda here. You know, you can go volunteer for something. You can give if you want to. I want you to know that I want something for you. I, I really do want something for you today. I mean... And I think even if you're not a believer, you can say this. You can look at the studies. Go Google this tonight. People that give more, serve more, love more, are more generous, are just plain happier and healthier in this world. They just are. You can look beyond the church at the studies that have been done, and the most generous people are the most happy people. And it's funny, people that are not generous, that have spent their lives hoarding themselves and hoarding their stuff for themselves are looking at those who are generous going, man, they have something I don't have. They've got joy. They've got happiness. They've got stuff that I could never get by holding on to my stuff. The study and the statistics are in. So that should show you that that God wants something for you. I believe that is the image of God on your life because we were made to be generous just like Jesus is so generous. And when we are generous like Jesus, when we're giving and serving and loving towards those around us, I feel like there's something in us that comes alive. It just, it feels like coming home. You know when you do something that just makes you feel alive, like this is what I was meant to do. That's what it is. And it will hurt, and it will be difficult, but I think that in the end, you will be healthier and happier, and you will enjoy your life in ways that you could never enjoy your life by holding on to everything so tightly. This is what James is challenging us to do. This is what I believe Jesus has for us today. Don't drag around the corpse anymore. If this is you today, I want to to encourage you. Today, you can make this commitment to authentic faith. We're going to pray in just a minute. You can make a a commitment to have real, true faith, to be willing not to hesitate, but to say, hey, I can do it. Me, I I can meet the need. I don't care if anybody else is with me. I'm going to go and meet the need because Jesus has done so much for me. He went alone to the cross. He died for me. And I'll go for him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your grace. God, I'm convicted this morning that I I resist you and that when you place opportunities before me, God, I look for a way out. Father, I know deep in my soul that the best life and the truest life is found in being someone who's giving, serving, and loving others. God, would you impress upon all of our hearts today a deeper understanding of your grace? 
God, if we, if we resist you, God, I pray that we wouldn't just try harder. God, we would be propelled by a deep understanding of your grace. And if this, this is you today, just pray with me. God, I want to commit to a, a true faith today. God, would you take my dead faith and bring it to life? I pray I would no longer drag around a corpse. I would no longer drag around religious behaviors to make myself feel better. I pray that I would no longer drag around a, a fake faith, God, convincing others that I believe more than I really do. God, could you help me with my doubts, help me with my struggles, and teach me to be a worshiper. Teach me to be someone who walks in step with you and meets needs as I see them. God, and I pray that as a community, we could do this together. God, and that we would be a movement of the kingdom in Eagle River, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our homes. God, we'll just watch you move. Just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.